Well, howdy, everyone. We are here. I thank you for joining me today. New Hope Radio. Hmm. We're going to see something about Jesus today. Really important. Very important. You know, Jesus was a walker. He walked everywhere he went, right? And you might think, well, yeah, he lived in a day when that's all people could do. <laughs> but I think it was more than that. It's more than the fact that they didn't have Mustangs and Corvettes and helicopters. I think it was more than that. I believe he walked because it gave him time to meet people and to spend time with people. How many of you remember the blizzard of 78? Remember that? People walked and talked and they were friendly and everybody, you know, it was like we had a common enemy, the snow, right? Now, we drive our car so fast on the highway, if we see somebody in need, we're already half a mile away before we even realize it. Well, we're in a series entitled Compassion and Christianity. And the question that I'm asking is, can you have Christianity without compassion? Can you do that? Do they, can you have one without the other? I mean, yeah, you can have compassion without Christianity, but can you have Christianity without compassion? Because I think that's a, one of the key elements of walking with Christ. So, I want us to learn that you can't have real Christianity unless you have, here it comes, real compassion. And what is real compassion? It's the compassion of Jesus. Now, last time we saw that God expects his people to have compassion over sacrifice. Remember that? Jesus went to the, the house of filled with sinners and the Pharisees are like, why? why is he eating with those bad people? Why isn't he with good people like us? And Jesus said, because it's not about sacrifice like you guys do. It's about compassion, like I'm doing. I came to give compassion. And that's much more important than sacrifice. You know what compassion does? It keeps us real. Oh, yeah. And it keeps our faith relevant. What a relevant faith? A relevant faith is one that is connected to the world around you. That's what it means when it's relevant. There's a connection. Okay? So, now Jesus has compassion on all kinds of people. And today we'll see that he has compassion even on those who struggle. Sometimes people have the burden or the feeling that if I'm struggling, I don't measure up. Or if I'm struggling, I'm not worthy. Or I'm not good enough. If I'm struggling, God's just going to pass me by. Let me tell you something. If you have ever struggled, or maybe you are even struggling with something right now, He has great compassion for you. He does. And it might surprise you how He shows compassion to people. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. And there's one thing about Jesus. People were always better off after they encountered him. You know that? Can you say that? I know I am. I'm better off. Not perfect, but I'm better off. I know that. Imagine if everybody we cared about encountered Jesus the right way, how better off they would be in life. Some people think, well, I can't get much better. Oh, you can get a lot better once Christ is in your life. You know that. So in Matthew 9, verse 35... 
Jesus was going through all the cities, walking, remember, he's a walker, and he's going through the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I like that. That's the good news. Wasn't proclaiming guilt, condemnation, wasn't telling jokes. He was pro proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, we see here in that passage the threefold activity which marks out the essence of Jesus' ministry. Number one, he was a herald. What does it say? He was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was a herald. That's what a herald does. He brings a message from the king. The herald brings what is certain, not what is maybe. Okay? So therefore, the herald must be certain of what he's saying. And the hearers must then gain that certainty also. You see how it works? So Jesus, oh, he knew what his message was. And he imparted that certainty of the message to others. Now, sadly, we're living in an age when certainties have been abandoned. Isn't that true? We call it an age of uncertainty. People don't know it is truth anymore. They don't, they don't know it's true. Everything is relative or convenient. There's a convenient truth and there's a truth. Convenient truth is oh, however I can spin it to make it work for me. And then there's a real truth, which doesn't bend. Truth doesn't bend. It is what it is. And you can't dress it up. You can't change it. You can't disguise it. It is what it is. But we're living in a society today, in our, our country anyway, I don't know about the rest of the world. But we're trying to disguise truth and make it look like something else. So Jesus was a herald, a proclaimer. Number two, he was a teacher. He took the certainties of his father and he made them relevant to life. Is he the master teacher? Of course he is. Why? Because he could take truth and make it relevant to life. He would say things like, behold the sower. Huh. You see a guy sowing seed on his farm and Jesus would tell a story with a spiritual truth. Just by watching that guy working his farm. It was, rele it was relevant. He talked about the kingdom of God. It's like a wedding. Everybody's been to a wedding. They've seen a wedding. Some have even been in a wedding, more than once, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But when they understand the wedding, they can get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. He would say things like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And I said, oh, leaven. That's a little bit of yeast that goes in dough when we make bread and cakes and things. It only takes a little bit to influence the whole thing. They say, be careful because the Pharisees, their lies are like that. They have a lot of truth, but they spin it with a lie. And it affects everything. So, see, Jesus knew how to take everyday life circumstances and roll them into people's personal lives. That's a good teacher. So, Christianity is not for discussing. It's for living. I don't and maybe some of you like those. I don't watch programs where people debate scripture. For some that like to do that, it's like, nah, I'm not into it. I'd rather watch programs where people live 
scripture. Because that's what it's for. It's not the debate. It's for living. In living it, you know what? That's the best debate. That's the best argument for Christianity. The life you live. You don't need fancy words. You just need a godly life. Christianity is not something we just talk about. It's what we do. It's who we are. Why is America such a great nation? I believe because the faith of Christianity is the foundation and the life of many of its citizens. Yes, we're losing it these days. Sadly, the greatness of America is being diminished by atheists, immoral people, ungodly people. Satan's moving, having his way. I guess it's all going according to God's timeline. But America was founded on biblical principles, Judeo-Christian principles, they say. And we became a great nation because of it. So Jesus was a herald. He was a great teacher. And thirdly, his ministry made up of healings. He was a healer. You cannot escape the healing ministry of Jesus as you read through the Gospels. The priest, he would have said, religion consists of sacrifice. The scribe, he would say, religion consists of the law. Jesus said, religion consists of love. So Jesus walks the land, proclaiming, teaching, and healing. So in verse 36 of Matthew 9, Seeing the people, here it comes, he felt compassion for them. Now the word compassion, it's a compound word. The first part means bowels. The second part means to feel sympathy. Now the biblical word for bowels is, speaks of the inner organs, okay? The, the, the deep part of you on the inside. And it means this that Jesus felt for the people in his innermost being. That's what that means. He felt for them in his innermost being. We would say deep down inside. Okay? It wasn't just sentimental. It's almost like he felt what they felt. He felt for people who struggled. He did. He felt compassion for the sick. In Matthew 14, 14. He felt compassion for the blind in Matthew 20, 34. Oh, he felt compassion for those in the grip of demons in Mark 9, 22. He felt compassion at the death of a child in Luke 7, 13. The world's sorrows draw out his compassion. The world's hunger draws out his compassion. And, how he, and on two occasions, he fed multitudes of people. So, the sight of the tired, and see, if maybe you're in that scene. The sight of the tired and the hungry crowds, that was a call upon his power. One person said it like this, No Christian can be content to have too much, while others have too little. That's true, isn't it? That when the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can't enjoy having an abundance when you see someone next to you that has very little. 
You just can't do it. Not in the Christian life anyway. So be careful that you don't mistake the blessings of God for your own personal greediness. Sometimes you think, well, everything God blessed me with is for me. Sometimes he blesses us so we can bless others too. And the best blessing to have is to be able to bless others. It truly is. You know the joy when you give someone a gift? When you give someone a gift, you can't wait for them to open it. Why? Because it gives you joy. I think the giver gets more joy than the receiver of the gift. There's something that happens inside of you. Something happens in your heart when you give to someone. And it's freeing and you love it. And it makes you want to do it more and more. That's, I'll tell you what, that's walking with Christ. Jesus was moved by compassion, by the world's loneliness, the sight of a leper, ostracized from society. You know, he felt what that person felt. He's a guy with a skin disease. No one wants him around. He can't talk to anybody. He can't go to the market. He can't go to the synagogue. He can't even walk on the same side of the street with other people. His life was very painful, not only physically, but emotionally and relationally, and Jesus felt it. He felt it too. And that's why he would heal so many of them. He was moved with compassion for those who didn't have it all together. It says, because they were distressed and dispirited. Now, the word distressed, distressed, that's a pretty strong word. It means to be flayed or mangled by wild beasts. What? So it speaks of their religious condition. They were harassed. Here are people that just want to know God and love God. But you know what the system did? It betrayed them. The religious system they were in betrayed them and put them into more bondage instead of setting them free. And Jesus rebuked them for it. He said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And you know what he called them? Hypocrites. Two-faced phonies. Oh, you tithe, mint and dill and cumin. Oh, you give to God things that are good. But you've neglected the big things, the weightier provisions of the law. And what are they, Jesus? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He's saying, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Yeah, you can tithe your herbs, but man, don't do it at the cost of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Don't do it to put more burdens on people. They're not your servants. You are theirs. The people are also dispirited, it says. It means dejected, being thrown about. For some today, if we bring it up to a more contemporary understanding, we could say, wearied by a journey that knows no end. How many people are like, are like that today? Wearied by a journey that knows no one. Single moms today, you got a tough job. Single dads, same thing, you get a tough job. People that work two jobs, 
just to make ends meet, you got a tough job. It's like a journey. It knows no end. It's like my light, my life doesn't have a light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't. It's just one day after another. Nothing changes. There's no breakthrough. You feel like, when is something good going to come my way? And just waiting and waiting and waiting. You're the ones that Jesus has compassion for. So Jesus sees people like this that are struggling. And he says, man, when I look at them, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep with no shepherds, they're very vulnerable. They can starve. They need someone to lead them to what? Green pastures, right? As Psalm 23 says. They need someone to lead them to fresh water. They need someone to protect them from the wild beasts. And when Jesus saw the people of Israel, like sheep without a shepherd, they were starving spiritually. They weren't being fed anything from the word of God. And the wild beasts that were tearing them apart, they were the false teachers. Oh, the ones that should have been showing them mercy and kindness and love. They were eating them. And then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Man, there's a lot of people. Oh, there's a lot of people out there that need to be brought into the kingdom. But the workers, there's just a few. There's only a few. How do you figure that, huh? How do you figure, here we are today, we know the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. We know the difference between lost and saved. And yet, I believe this passage rings true today. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What do you think? What do you think of that? You think that there's more souls to be brought into the kingdom, but there's less people involved in the work? And involved in the, it doesn't mean that you have to change your lifestyle. What it means is that in your lifestyle, you become a proclaimer for the kingdom of God. That you allow God to use you to reap souls for the kingdom. Picture a large farm ready for harvest, right? Man, you look out in the fields, oh yeah, all the corn is growing. All the grapes are full and big and purple. Look at those pumpkins, man, they're beautiful, big and round. Oh, giant radishes and cucumbers. Oh yeah, wait. Who's going to bring them in? We don't have enough people to bring in the food, to bring in the crops. What will happen? The crops will be lost. If you don't get them all in in time, the crops will be lost. You think people are like that? If you don't get them in in time, they're going to remain lost. The harvest will not be reaped unless there are reapers to reap it, right? The harvest will not be reaped unless there are reapers to reap it. So, just like it's a sad commentary to see all those crops rotting on the vine, how much more? To see all those people 
lost. And you know, God has compassion on them. Oh yes, he does. And how does he show his compassion? By sending his people into the harvest. Here's the solution, verse 38, we're in Matthew 9. Therefore, beseech, that means ask or pray. Beseech the Lord of the harvest, that must be God, to send out workers into his harvest. Pray that God raises up people. Right? Now, does Jesus need anything? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He owns it all. Does he need anything? I would say yes, he does. You know what he needs? He needs people to bring in the harvest. That's what he does. He needs people, like he told the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, I got a commission for you. It's great. Went to all the world, preached the gospel. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He needed people. So when Jesus said, beseech the Lord to send out workers, the word send out, <laughs> you know what it really means? Thrust out. Thrust out. It's not like hold their hand and walk them. It's thrust them out. Because there are those who are too complacent. They need a thrusting. <laughs> I think Jesus, I'm sure he's more serious about this than many people, than many Christians. Oh yeah, people, God's people sometimes need a thrusting. And who are these workers that he says, send them out? People that can work the gospel. Come on. People that can explain the things of God. Teach the things that Jesus taught. Pray God raises up more teachers and more ministers for the work of the kingdom. What we have going on here on September 11th at New Hope Christian Church in Swansea, Mass., we have what's called Back to Church Sunday. Back to Church Sunday is an annual event where we send out invitations to people. The congregation does. They invite people to come to church on September 11th. We don't want people from other churches. Don't come if you have a church. We don't want you to come. It's for people that don't go to church or for those that have fallen away from church, they get out of the routine, and they need a little kickstart to get back into church. Maybe you can do this in your own ministry, too. Nothing special about September 11th. It's just that it's the end of the summer, and people's routines kind of get back into order with school, and, you know, the vacation's just about over. So it's a back-to-church Sunday. Invite people to church. Bring them to your church. doesn't matter. Bring them. Invite someone to your church. I'd love to have you come to my church. You know, the summer's over. Let's get a kickstart in our spiritual life. You really enjoy it. Because people need hope. And hope comes from two places. It comes from the Word of God. How exciting it is to not only learn the Word of God, but to also teach it to others. Because you're giving them hope. And secondly, people need the compassion of God's people. Oh, hope and compassion. And how exciting it is to show love and compassion to others. Especially those who don't have it all together. I mean, probably most people, when they get saved at that point, didn't have it all together. I wouldn't say I did. I don't even know if I have it together now. <laughs> probably not. But it's okay. 
it's okay to struggle. God's love doesn't change. Oh, no. His love is constant. He loves you just as you are. And he desires to do an incredible work in your heart. Fill you up. Raise you up. Make you into something far beyond your own imagination. So, it's there. The hope you need is there. It's in Christ. And it's in his word. So, invite someone to church. Invite someone to church and say, listen, I just want you to come one time. And prayerfully, they'll come. And you know what? Hopefully it's a good church where your pastor preaches a good relevant message for them, a, a message of hope and encouragement and truth. And it gives an altar call at the end so they can walk out knowing that they had an opportunity to receive Christ. And hopefully because of your prayers, they did. That's the goal. Hopefully there's an altar call at the end of every service on a Sunday because people need that opportunity to make that decision. If you don't give them the opportunity to make the decision, they don't know about it. And how can they do it? I don't know. Well, next time we're together, we're going to take a look at another aspect of compassion. I love this story. You've heard it a hundred times. The story of the Good Samaritan. But I'll tell you what. There's a freshness about it every time I hear it. Every time. This, because the Word of God is alive and powerful. So we can hear these stories over and over, but there's always something fresh and alive and new that we can receive. So I hope you'll join me for that. Don't forget the Whole Club Podcast. Don't miss it. You can catch, catch this message later. The Hope Club Podcast. That's all you need to know. Okay? And it'll be there waiting for you. And uh, what's the name of the message today? For those who struggle. And that's probably most of us. For those who struggle. Thank you for coming along. We'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.